What's going on, y'all? It's your boy, Cool Colas here, and you are now tuning into a new episode of the Pro Black Blurred Kingdom Podcast. On today's episode, I wanted to take this in a different direction. And usually in my previous episodes, I've mainly focused on exploiting and pointing out where anti-black racism takes place in entertainment and in blurred media. But today, I want to talk a little bit to y'all about wrestling and where I have seen anti-blackness show up specifically in the WWE. Now, when it comes to wrestling, I have been a fan since as long as I can remember. Even in school, high school specifically, I used to wrestle. As a matter of fact, I wrestled for three years. It took me a minute to, you know, get the hang of it, but eventually it became a sport that I really loved. From my sophomore year through my senior year, as a matter of fact, I wrestled and my weight class was 152 pounds. At my school, the wrestling program had launched for the first time ever in my sophomore year of high school, so I was among the first to be a part of it, as a matter of fact. And what I learned from wrestling is that it's a very mental sport, even more than it is physical. And it takes a, a lot of thought and precision and grace and fluid movements to really execute all the moves in, in a way that's effective. And, you know, it was a good outlet for me, too, as well, because I was low-key kind of an angry and emotional kid. It was, it was a good way for me to be able to let out a lot of that steam and a lot of those things that I was going through to a certain extent. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons for that anger and emotionality, but I'm just more so being real about my circumstance at that time. It was a space for me to sometimes, again, relieve that frustration and to also just be able to get in, you know, very good shape. Because when you're a wrestler, you have to be in top-notch shape. You know, you do a lot of running, you do a lot of weightlifting, you do a lot of intense exercises, a lot of stair running, and a lot of push-ups, jumping jacks, and that type of thing. You know, it was, it was something I really enjoyed and something that made me feel unique as well because a lot of people weren't talking about joining a wrestling team when they were talking about playing sports. You know, most people were consumed with football and basketball, which were two sports that I really didn't really get into like that. Matter of fact, I don't even watch either on TV, and that's for multiple reasons. And, I, and I'll kind of get into one of them, actually, since I'm here and I, and I actually brought it up. But one thing that I don't like is that these big time corporations like NFL are just to me, big ass plantations that are kind of like minstrel shows that grind away at the athletes. And I get it. There are some that are white and there's like non-white, non-black athletes on the field as well, too. But there are a significant amount of black athletes that are a part of this. And I don't know, y'all. It kind of feels like a slave-esque type of deal in some ways when you really look at it. Also, I just have 
never really had an interest in just watching sports on TV all day. I felt like I had better things to do. And, you know, if that's your thing and you like watching it and you're really into sports, you're really into seeing teams play, you know, whether it's uh, football, whether it's basketball, more power to you. But it just never was really my thing. Even, you know, back in the day, I remember that, uh, you know, people at my school would try to play me about wrestling, too. And they would say stuff like, you know, it was it was gay and all this other stuff, like all this, like, really funny shit. A lot of people would be like... <laughs> you you wear you in spandex and, and touching at the bed. <laughs> I used to say shit like that. And I remember in college there was this dude who I also used to you know go to high school with as well. And I was in the cafeteria this one time, and I was sitting down. I was I was smashing some wings or some shit. <laughs> and this dude comes down to sit at the table with me. And some other people who I was kicking it with at the time. And, you know, at, you know, I was like, you know, in high school, he was cool. So, you know, yeah, let let this dude come down and, you know, kick it with, you know, me and my friends and stuff like that. I didn't really care. My thing was, like, I know you back in high school. You seemed decent back then. So, you know, come to the table and kick it with us. And by the way, this dude that I'm about to talk about, he used to play football. So I wanted to put this all in context before I tell you the story. So, let me tell y'all, I was kind of surprised because this nigga came with some real funny style ass energy. Like, I don't know what the fuck was up with him. Because, like, in high school, I mean, he was cool. But in college, like, he was just on some weird shit. And he was up here bringing up, you know, the fact that I used to wrestle and shit. And he was like... Man, remember we 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 used to say you wrestling dudes were gay. <laughs> he was sitting there giggling and shit like a sassy ass bitch. I don't even remember how it even got brought up, but he just but it got to that point where he he made uh, some type of point like that, and I'm like, nigga, what can be any more suggestive than wearing a bunch of tight ass pants? And then having a bunch of men bent over. And some are even standing behind a damn quarterback who was reaching underneath another man's ass and nuts to get a big brown ball. If that isn't one of the most homoerotic roleplay type of things that I've ever seen, I don't know what the fuck is. Then y'all's asses have the nerve to pile up and lay up on top of each other when a ball got fumbled. So, you Negroes were chasing after some balls and some booty okay but i'm the i'm the gay one okay all right this dude then says so it's different man that's different you 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 know this is different you you can't you can't look at it like that man you know he started trying to kind of backpedaling a little bit and you know and he was kind of just just getting on some weird shit and i was like yeah nigga you right that's worse you doing an open male, male on male orgy, so you can't even talk about me out here. Man, fuck out of here with that bullshit. And again, what I'm saying is not a stab at gay folks. I'm I'm simply making 
a comparison to how this Negro thought it would be funny to come talking slick to me like that about my sport. And he ended up looking like a damn hypocrite because I ended up calling him out about him playing football because he was real defensive and weird and shit. Like as soon as I had said, like, look, dog, you trying to like, you know, play me about like what I, you know, really enjoyed in school. So I'm going to show you like where that's showing up with what, what you used to do. And you know, you, you, you was kind of acting like real jittery and shit. Like you had about like 50, 15 or 20 damn cups of coffee and shit. He was acting all weird. And, and I, I'm just like, man, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Anyway, I, I, I just had to tell y'all that story. And I told y'all this before. I can't stand a damn hypocrite. It's literally my biggest pet peeve. And I'll get to that in another time on another podcast, but I just wanted to tell you that quick story and to let y'all know, like, you know, kind of how, like, kind of what happened there. Anyway, back, back to wrestling. Now, I understand that wrestling and WWE, like, you know, watching pro wrestling are not remotely the same, but I just wanted to give that backstory to let you know why I've always enjoyed the idea of wrestling itself. Now, what's different about pro wrestling than watching football or basketball even is that there is this bigger idea of acting and and storylines that come into play. You know, to me, it kind of activates my creative side, you know, as a writer. And I've been a wrestling fan as long as I can remember. So I've always enjoyed all elements of it from the storylines to the gimmicks to the wrestling matches itself to the promos that were cut. I, and, I, and, and just to give you all a timeline of when I used to watch wrestling like WWE and stuff like that, I probably watched it religiously from like... 2002 until maybe about 2006 and then I stopped somewhere around like somewhere around 06 and I kind of loosely kept up with what was going on over the years and then I picked it back up and started watching it again around 2013 and what brought me back on this is that I found out that my wife right now was a fan of WWE and back when her and I were just friends, we would sit on the phone at night and we would talk while watching wrestling from our televisions together. And we would kind of comment on what was going on and stuff like that. Like it was a way that we kind of bonded even as friends at that time. And it was a way that, you know, we both just mutually got hooked on it and got, you know, super, super invested in it once again. And at the time, you know, I, I say there was this group on there that, you know, also really interests me, you know, and, and really got me back into watching it. And I don't know if you all are, were fans of WWE, like watching it back in 2013, but the group that really, really got me like invested on it was The Shield. And I'll get to them in a minute, but I just wanted to say um, that that was um, another that was a team that really, really got me reinvested in watching WWE like I used to do when I was in high school. So now from about 2013, about in, until about 2019, I was, again, religiously watching WWE. So that was another like six year time period that I was, you know, invested in WWE. And I just got to say that. There were a lot of times where that shit just really, really wasn't all that great. When um, um, the wrestler Dean Ambrose, also known as John Moxley, now on AEW, from the Shield left, and then when they started treating the New Day like trash, especially Coffee Kingston during his title reign, I wasn't really feeling it anymore. 
And again, I have been still keeping lightly abreast on what's been happening even now in WWE, but I just don't watch it faithfully like I did between 02 and 06 and then 13 and 19. As far as my favorite wrestlers and other things go, I have I, I love a lot of the now what people would call old heads. I love The Rock and I thought dude was funny as shit. I loved Rey Mysterio. He was always like this underdog who whooped ass and I liked the special move the 619 too. I thought that was fire. I also liked Stone Cold Steve Austin and his, I liked his special move, especially the stunner. Something about that just seemed like just dope, like you just didn't give a fuck. And I love that. I liked The Undertaker. I actually liked Kurt Angle. I liked when dudes would like, what people would come out in the audience, they would say, you suck when, or, uh, you know, they would say, you suck chance, like when he would come out. And um, his heel work was really top notch. And I actually was a fan of his special move, the angle slam. I also like Randy Orton as a wrestler too. And the RKO was just iconic. I mean, who cannot like that move? But um, dude was also a huge asshole. And that's also what made his character just dope. There's some others I liked, but those were the big time people I just really enjoyed seeing. And as far as like newer wrestlers, new ish wrestlers now, there are some, you know, both in the men and women's division that really caught my attention over the years in this new era. One thing about me that I haven't talked about is I really, really enjoy seeing factions, especially when. You know, these faction of characters start off villainous. And I know at the, you know, when Vince McMahon was running WWE, he wasn't really big into factions or anything like that. But I like to see what they always constructed because that's where I felt like a, a, a lot of that creativity would come out. Some of the new factions that I really enjoyed watching were. First of all, the Shield. I just talked about them. I personally thought they were a literal perfect team. They were three different dudes who balanced each other out super well. I love their special move, the triple power bomb. You know where you know they would beat the hell out of somebody, and then like uh, they would hold up their lifeless ass body, and then Roman Reigns would be in the middle going like he would he would throw both of his arms out, and you know they would just power bomb the hell out of whoever it was that they just picked up. And one of the things, by the way, like I said that. That pulled me back into wrestling was watching and seeing how these dudes were like just a big ass threat to everybody so for those of you who you know weren't fans they were again three dudes who were wearing these bulletproof vests like flat jackets and they had the pants and the boots to match and they look like these like guards or soldiers at war and their combat outfits were all black and they would come through the stage like where the audience was instead of actually coming through like the center where most superstars would usually come out and they would like come out and surround whoever their enemy was and let me tell y'all these fools used to take out so many damn people they would gang up on people and beat the hell out of them and hold their lifeless ass bodies up to be triple power bombed like literally they triple power bombed and surrounded the undertaker the rock John Cena, Big Show, Mark Henry, Randy Orton, too many damn times to count, Kane, the New Age Outlaws, Shane McMahon, Great Khali, I keep going. I mean, literally so many people and their interest music was dope as hell too. I also love the faction The New Day as well. 
they were three goofy Negroes who took you by surprise because they were really a serious tag team. They represented this idea of blurds, actually, because I thought they were three blurds who were silly, but also very serious about their craft. And I really had some mad respect for that. And I loved how they were originally done, like how they were originally written. They were three Negroes, like I said, who were also very well balanced, just like the shield was. And they had some fire ass wrestling skills, just like the shield. As a matter of fact, they fought the shield in a dope ass match too, that I really enjoyed. And these dudes, they used to wear blue and pink and they would cut. And sometimes they would have these uh, other different outfits that they would wear here and there. And they would do all types of silly shit. But these niggas, by the way, like what I'm talking about, although they were like real silly and goofy and all this other shit, they was dragon fools in the tag team division. So at first, by the way, their characters were good. They were, they were like, like heroes, but then they made them bad because people were, weren't really buying their power of positivity gimmick. Like it wasn't working at first. And so they ended up changing them into bad guys. Then when they turned them bad, it's, I think the way they did it was they made it seem like they were a bit off. Like, a, yeah, they were jumping around and they were all happy and positive, but there were moments where somebody would kind of like press a button and they would start going off. And so I'll never forget there was one episode where uh, Big E, who was the powerhouse of the um, of the group, got really, really pissed because of the fact that, you know, people were kind of talking about them because at first they were doing some kooky shit and they had won a match and, you know, it was all gravy, but then they started getting booed. And so, you know, people are in the audience and they were like, new day sucks new day sucks. So they were doing something like that, you know, to the rhythm of this, because like there's a member on there, Xavier Woods, and he would play this trombone or, or trumpet. Actually, it was a trumpet and he would play it and he would go, mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. And they would say, new day sucks, like to the to the beat of that. And so at one point, Big E snapped and he was like, are you serious? You all have the nerve to sit here and say we suck after we just wrestle for you. How dare you? Like he was he was going off. Like, I don't know if he exactly said that, but he was going to hell off. He said something in that ballpark. And then these niggas would literally go back to acting silly again after they would snap. See, that's the shit that got them popular. It almost looked like something was wrong with them. They would then like, you know, act goofy and then get in the ring and then beat the dog shit out of folks. Like, I'll never forget that one episode where they beat down John Cena and had dude literally sitting down against the turnbuckle. So uh, Coffee Kingston would go to the other side of like the of the ring to basically kick John Cena in his face while he was sitting down at the turnbuckle. And while he was doing that, this dude, Xavier, had this trumpet that he named Francesca. See, you can tell these niggas are goofy just by that. And he would strum the shit out of this um this uh this trumpet as coffee was running to kick John Cena in the face. So he would go and then like coffee would be running as he was doing this to kick him and he would stop once coffee kicked him. So they would keep doing this shit over and over again during the match. And as the nigga was all laid out on the ground after being kicked so many times, they would dance and sing and they would go they you know try, uh, Xavier would play the trump the trumpet and be like dun, 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 dun. and he would do that over and over again. And I thought that was the funniest shit ever y'all I, like I thought that the uh, the audience I feel like they began to like that shit too because every time you would do that I was like man what is wrong with these dudes man <laughs> so anyway as far as factions go I also like the Wyatt family 
at first, you know, there was three of them, but it ended up being four of these people in this faction. And they were like these hillbillies who had this gimmick that was like a cross between the Undertaker and Mankind. And I never thought they really lived up to their deserved potential, but I thought the gimmick itself was was really gold and it was very creative. I remember they had these creepy ass interruptions and, and videos and then the shit would just go off randomly. And I remember like every time that happened, my eyes would get to bucking when I saw that. I was like, shit the fuck just happened but anyway so as far as the new shit I've seen. I also like the Hurt Business, but I feel like they did them kind of dirty. The head of the table gimmick was cool, you know, that in the bloodline, you know, whatever you want to call them at this point. And I like the Fiend gimmick as well that they had for Bray Wyatt after, you know, the whole Wyatt family gimmick was done. But again, they ruined that as well. As far as the women goes, I really think most of the black wrestlers are the best wrestlers and my favorite wrestlers. I loved Ember Moon when she was actually on WWE, and I thought she honestly was the best wrestler at, in the company that I had seen, like as far as like the females go. I love Naomi's beautiful chocolate self as well, too. She's very underrated. Sasha Banks is a dope wrestler to me and I really like you know I really liked what she did and I thought that like she should have been elevated more you know as well too because I thought she was really good I also really really like Bianca Belair and let me just say man Bianca Belair is fine as hell dog I just gotta say that Everything about that woman is just working for me, literally. Like, the wrestling is on point. She fine as hell. Um, feeling the way that she be acting. The gimmick, like, literally, like, literally every damn thing is just working. I just, I don't know. She, she's she, she, she's kind of bad to me. And come on, y'all. Y'all, you, you've seen her. You can't tell me that that isn't a beautiful black queen. Anyway, though. I think that, you know, what the the way that, you know, she's her character is getting crafted is very cool. And I like how she's getting elevated now that she's champion. I think she's been champion now for 200 plus days. So I think that's really dope. Despite everything I just said above about WWE, this doesn't remove the fact that this company has a lot of anti-blackness from you know, the wrestlers and all the things that happens both inside and outside the ring. And a lot of it took place in this Vince McMahon-esque era. And I want to bring up a few examples of what I mean so it doesn't seem like I'm just blowing smoke at this point. There was an incident where Teddy Long, if you don't know who that is, he's this brother who was, you know, he was old school. You know, he used to be, you know, in the in the wrestling scene back in the day. And he was a general manager as well for SmackDown, I think, back in like 03. And um, anyway, he said that he had been he had experienced being called a, a nigger. Hardy R. Hardy R, y'all. Quite a bit when he was in WWE. And so he started off in this interview that he was in. He was saying that he um, started off getting called a, a nigger by a wrestler called Ole Anderson, who was he was a white boy. And he said, even, um, you know, if Ole would know the name of a of a wrestler or a person who was like in the wrestling scene, who was black, he would still call them a nigger. And he didn't care. He even said he was even referring to one of the matches where Ole had and he was telling him, you know, to back out because like he was refereeing this match. I'm sorry. Teddy Long was refereeing this match and um, Ole was, I guess, like a, a wrestler in it. And he was telling Ole to um, back out during the match. And Ole turned around and he told him, nigger, don't touch me. Don't put your hand on me. 
And he also talked about a wrestler named Bill Dundee, who was a white wrestler who called him out in front of some people and said, can't you see what we're doing here, nigger? He then started talking about Ric Flair, y'all's boy. Everybody loves Ric Flair so goddamn much. But he talked about how, and this this is the thing I really want to get to, how Ric Flair called him a nigger. And so um, he said there was one day where, uh, you know, Ric Flair had walked up to him and kind of like low-key was antagonizing him. You know, he said something about some girls or some shit like that. And then he walked up and said, Nigga, you like working here? And you know, he also <laughs> when I first heard that, it didn't it, it didn't kind of it didn't really surprise me, but it was just interesting that that happened, and I'm glad that he, you know, told the story and he told what what happened to him like spoke his truth. But um he also talked about how he had to deal with, you know, wanting to become a manager and Ric Flair was hating on him and the idea of that being a possibility. But, you know, that that's that's y'all's hero though. Ric Flair, that's y'all's hero. A white man who is hailed as a wrestling all-star to this day, who rappers will rap about in their lyrics and claim he's all buddied up with these black rap artists today like he didn't just spew some anti-black racism to Teddy Long for trying to just get his weight up. Rappers will just be cooning out here and act like he's some type of symbol, symbol of uh, glamorousness and flaunting a, a dope lifestyle. And they're not even like giving any context to all the stuff that he did and he said about people like Teddy Long. And I mean, he's been mentioned in so many songs. And I want to name the numerous number of songs where it shows that rappers are just big upping him all the time. He was in the I Don't Like remix by Chief Keef, Pusha T, Kanye West, Jada Kiss, Big Sean, and all that. He was in the song, he was mentioned at some point, like so, uh, there was the, the outro was Ric Flair in the song We Ball by Dom Kennedy. He was in the song, he was mentioned in the song About That Life by Meek Mill. He was in, um, in the song Ric Flair by Killer Mike, who's supposed to be conscious. He was mentioned in the song Ric Flair again by Cameron. He was mentioned in the song Sweet Serenade by Pusha T. And this is the second time this nigga Pusha T done serenaded him because the, the first one was some shit that he said in the I Don't Like remix. He was mentioned in the, the song Switch, Switching Lanes by Tyga or Switch Lanes by Tyga. He was mentioned in the song New God Flow by Kanye West. And we all know how much of a Sambo Kanye West is. He was mentioned in the song Commando by Migos. He was mentioned in the song Steez by Soldier Boy. I could just really, really keep going y'all but i just wanted to give y'all like how many songs that that artists have like just kept you know like bringing him up and i'm not disparaging these artists because i love a lot of their music i think a lot of their music is very entertaining and i enjoy it but i'm just trying to point out you know something that constructively and, and to give some constructive criticism you know how how soon it is that we forget or fail to try to know about the people that we choose to big up that's my point here Hell, there was even um, something going around about his daughter, you know, Charlotte Flair, who had an issue with her ex-husband who claimed that she made some racist remarks to a police officer who was black in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I mean, I don't know how true it is because there are always three sides to a story, you know, yours, theirs, and the, and the truth. But 
I'd be prone to believe that this really happened because to me, the apple doesn't fall, fall too far from the tree, you know, it would seem. And she seems to be proud of her father's legacy because she crafted her special move after him and her entrance and her gimmick to a certain extent, but just a feminine version. She even does that strut like him and woos like him and WWE supported her and backed her innocence when all of this went down as well too when they found out about like you know people or the the husband the ex-husband saying that she made racist remarks and meanwhile Titus O'Neil a black wrestler whose gimmick is to be a Q dog who got mimicked by Heath Slater by way in a segment. And by the way, I'm going to go off on a tangent. I bet you hell bent black Greeks who acted like wet bitches whenever someone black on campus would even mildly mention their fraternity in a light you thought was disrespectful won't even bat an eye because a white man threw up a Q dog symbol. But I digress. Y'all probably just laugh it off and say he didn't even know any better or some shit. Anyway, going back to Titus O'Neil, he even got suspended for 90 days that got less than 60 days for simply grabbing Vince McMahon's wrist to warn him to allow ladies to go first um, after a match that Daniel Bryan had. And it was for Stephanie McMahon because he was trying to show chivalry and courtesy. And they had this nigga Titus apologizing and explaining and talking about some regardless of, of how harsh it was, it, it, it was inappropriate and all this other shit. So anyway, they aren't going to give you the, the world title for apologizing after being treated like a fourth string jobber. I mean, the spirit of Ole Anderson had came out of Vince and just decided to just treat you like shit. He might as well have said, don't you dare touch me, nigga. Because that's kind of like the, the energy that they gave him. Speaking of Vince saying nigga, the second instance I wanted to talk to you all about back in the day when he was when he did this promo with John Cena where he was rooting him on in a match that he had with Kurt Angle, I believe in 2005. He asked John Cena, what's good in the hood? First of all, that's already some hoe ass shit. But anyway, John Cena said, I'm just holding it down. And then Vince looked at him and he looked like he was on PCP or some shit. And he said, keep it up, my nigga. And he said it just like that. And he sounded like he was hiccuping and shit. I didn't know what was wrong with him. Sound like someone poked him in his ass or some shit. And, and he, when he was saying the word nigga. Like that shit was strained when he when it came out, and I'm like, man, if you gonna say it, just say it with your chest. Don't don't be like a bitch about it, Vince McMahon. Then he had Booker T coming out bucking his eye, saying some shit like, "Tell me he didn't just say that." See, when I was a kid, I thought this shit was funny because Vince looked corny as a hoe. But now I see it's just anti-black racism that he was able to get away with like a whole lot of other white men who got a lot of bread. And Booker T spoke about the racism he had in WWE outside of this event too. Like when I think him and his brother-in-law got called all types of racial slurs when he first debuted it. And I think, you know, it, I think it was by fans to a certain extent. But regardless, that scenario was a part of some of the racism that actually happened. I mean, Booker T had other moments of anti-black racism as well, too, such as in 2003 when he was fighting as a top contender to Triple H's World Heavyweight Championship belt and Triple H cut a promo talking greasy to him, talking real, real racist, real like white supremacist, white white supremacist ish to him. He then, he told him 
we told him to dance and do one of those spinneroonies and entertain him because that's his job and like like he was some type of damn sambo in a in a minstrel show like that shit was crazy and then he said you are here to make people like me laugh see whether that was triple h's idea for a promo or not he went along with it and i wasn't with that with him saying people like me he was symbolizing the white supremacist who has black folks there to entertain and put shows on for him and do tricks as he watches and laughs. And then he told Booker T, by the way, that his hair was nappy and he knocked him saying and he knocked him uh, not mocked the fact that he says sucker all the time. And then Ric Flair's old Hillman's jar looking ass with a robe on was sitting there just smiling and shit. He probably was really, really just getting a kick out of this. You know, he, he, he definitely was out there like saying nigga in the past. So, you know, you, you, you already know how he was feeling about it. And then triple H said, you are going to do what people like you always do. You are going to lose. So most people were tripped up by the people like you part. But to me, it was all the other shit that he had said in addition that was racist. But here's the worst part about all of it. The part no one talks about. The worst part about all this is Booker T actually did lose to him. So to me, this is how I'm seeing it. Let's say that this whole promo was acted out to tell the story of a king who overcame the racist privileged white boy who demeaned him and put him down they turned around and had booker t lose to triple h so now it just looks like unnecessary racism if anything it looks like a message was sent to black folks telling them to get in their place there also was a segment where Booker T and Shawn Michaels and some other white wrestlers had this um, NWO knockoff group and the group was having some issues. And at some point, Shawn Michaels said, something here doesn't belong. And then he proceeded to superkick Booker T, who was the only black member of the group. And WWE never led up with that action or led it into a storyline where the action that Shawn Michaels did to turn on Booker T was ever explained so it looked like they were just throwing a jab at him because he was black it didn't look like it was a thing where like he had a personal vendetta against uh, Booker T himself so that was also a problem Another racist incident is um, they had Ted DiBiase and Virgil who were in a gimmick in the 80s where he was a rich, wealthy white man and Virgil was a black man who was his quote unquote servant. So it was almost like a slave and slave master type of ordeal. Another incident was when Rowdy Roddy Piper did blackface. Did y'all know about that or did y'all just forget about that or y'all just brush that off? And they had him arguing against this little weird black face alter ego that he had. And he was doing black sense and he was saying shit like, uh, you ain't nothing but a cockroach. And that gimmick was garbage, by the way, too. So if they were going to do something that was racist, at, at, at least try to make a good gimmick. But no. They had him doing blackface and having black sense and speaking in Ebonics and speaking like in, you know, messed up English and all this other shit, which was just wrong. 
They also had a chain of gimmicks for wrestlers portraying them in negative black stereotypes such as the Nation of Domination, which was used to mock this Hotep, Black Panther-esque hybrid type of gimmick. They had the Godfather, whose gimmick was a pimp, another black stereotype. They had, again, Virgil, who was a slave, another negative black stereotype. They had Crime Time, which was another negative black stereotype because it looked like it was a, a, a thing about blacks being criminals. I mean, I could just keep going on and on and on. And a lot of you all are hearing me and said, and probably are saying, well, cool Colos, that was in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s and shit. Times be different. Times be different. They don't be doing that no more. And here is why I would tell you little peanut brittle loving goofy Negroes something that you need to hear. It ain't that different. The only thing that is different is the swagger in which they choose to communicate their racism. As a matter of fact, the only incident I could even think of where the racism was overt was in that Hulk Hogan shit where he was caught saying nigger. Matter of fact, let me tell y'all what he said on the transcription of this sex tape audio when he made these racist comments about black folks. This is what he said. I think it was a sex tape audio is what people were saying. He said, so it gets to the point where I don't know if Brooke was, Brooke is his daughter, was fucking the black guy's son or they've been hanging out. Hogan is reported hearing saying, I caught them holding hands together on the tour. They were getting close to kind of, you know, the fucking. I'm not a double standard type of guy, he continued. I'm a racist to a point, you know, fucking niggers. But then when it comes to nice people, I don't give a fuck if she, and this word was inaudible, I'm assuming it said fuck. Fuck. An eight-foot-tall basketball player, he says on the recording. If we're going to fuck with niggers, let's get a rich one. You see, family, I love this type of shit. You know why? Because I want the mask to come right off. Show me that real white supremacist energy so I don't have to fish it out. And so you goofy Negroes who probably have a mouthful of butter biscuits won't say, well, uh, I don't know because that, that there uh, could be some, some perception. I don't be thinking it'd be ra racism with him because he ain't say no bad names and shit. Yeah, he did. He said niggers, by the way, y'all. He said niggers. Then here's the part that got me about him. I just got to say this. He said... It was, this is his apology, because he gave an apology. He said, it was wrong. I'm embarrassed by it, but a lot of people need to realize you inherit things from your environment. And where I grew up was South Tampa, Port Tampa, and it was a really rough neighborhood, very low income. And all my friends, we greeted each other saying that word. That word was just thrown around like it was nothing. This was asked by Amy Robach which was the interviewer who was, I guess, like asking him these questions or at, taking his apology. And she asked him if he had inherited a racial bias. And Hulk Hogan answered in the affirmative. He said, I would say that is very fair. The environment I grew up in 
all my white friends, all my black friends to hear the word on a daily basis when they greet me in the morning. That's what they'd say to me. Good morning, so-and-so. I think that was part of the culture and the environment I grew up in. Hulk Hogan then begged fans to forgive him. And he said, forgive, uh, and this is what he said. I'm a nice guy. And then he said he was at a low point in his life. In 2021 terms, you could say that he was trying to undo being canceled. This is what the article is saying. This right here, family, this this is what I, this is this is not now my 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 uh thoughts here. This right here, family, is Mayo Babble. And not a real apology, by the way. His daughter was saying also too that she doesn't ha- that he doesn't have a racist bone in his body. How, ma'am? How does he not have a racist bone in his body? He said in the recording that he was racist to a point. Hell, your ass might could might could be racist. I mean, according to him, I mean, you know, you're kind of dabbling in some others. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, scenarios where, where white girls, you know, when they're having their like fun time dabbling brothers and then try to just go back to, you know, white men. So, I mean, you could be on the same shit too. That again, the apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. I don't really know because you kind of sympathizing for him after he done said some disparaging shit. And instead of calling him out, instead of calling him out and saying that, you know, he was full of shit, you're sitting there and you're kind of backpedaling. So I don't know. You, you could be racist too. I mean, he blamed the shit on his damn environment. Being from a rough neighborhood and being low income doesn't make you a racist. And it certainly doesn't have to show up in your adulthood if you don't let it. Hulk Hogan knew that even if he got caught, he was still going to be forgiven. I think that's the bottom line here, family. That was the real Hulk Hogan, though, y'all. An anti-black racist who knows white privilege will work in his favor. This man was given a Hall of Fame suspension and then it was later reinstated. Anyway, going back to what I was going to say, though, there were a lot of low key moments of racism that show up in WWE. I mean, I'm going to give you some examples here real quick. They got. Naomi and gimmicks where she's talking about snatching girls bald like she's a ghetto hood rat. They got Omos being treated like he's some type of beast. That's the big like African dude that is now in, in WWE. They had Durag Vince. That was strange. They had New Day low key having some racial undertones because they were treated like Sambos in a modern day minstrel show shaking their asses and twerking with bootios and shit. And remember they had the slogan. They make sure you ain't booty. And they also, too, they all, they almost tried a racist storyline with Mark Henry being a silverback gorilla until he vetoed that shit. You know, they also treat our truth like he's a certified dumbass rapper. And, and remember, remember when they gave him that imaginary friend, little Jimmy and Triple H was sitting there trying to play him like he was a moron. You know, I, I feel like they, they, they make our truth like um, Booker T with the IQ of a raisin. Like, I feel like that's what they do with his character. They also uh, never elevate their black wrestlers either. And I've 
heard a lot of, you know, suspected white supremacist rationalization. And a lot of them would like say, uh, would try to like, uh, rationalize why that was, you know, uh, uh, you know, man, you know, well, if you, if, if you look at the year to year basis, you can see that, uh, you know, is it in 2011, dude, there, there are a total of, uh, four black wrestlers to, um, 357.7 white ones. Uh, so the probability of a black wrestler being a champion is 0.074999 repeating, dude. You see, and that's that's the problem right there. Too much damn sympathizing and explaining. I even saw that Stone Cold Steve Austin played right into that on an interview or broadcast he was doing. And at some point he even had a guest on there who was low-key trying to trying to check him, you know, for some of the stuff that he was kind of like co-signing. He tried to pull the the low numbers of black people argument, and I think he also tried to say that, uh, you know, there was also a talent issue, like with some wrestlers like the Bobby Lashleys, and then there was also issue with looks and sizes with some of these black wrestlers, and he tried to make that argument to say that's why there hadn't been a lot of, like, black champions, and the caller, who, in my opinion, sounded like a white guy, I could have been wrong, actually brought up Daniel Bryan as an example, which I thought was an excellent example, and he said Daniel Bryan was small. He was elevated and he doesn't have the look. Daniel Bryan doesn't have that look of like a, like, you know, that Vince likes because, you know, he's on some weird shit. He doesn't have that look of like a Roman Reigns or even like, you know, somebody like that or John Cena, but he was elevated. The bottom line is if you compare the Shield to the New Day, these two tag teams were set up in the hopes to elevate the stars as breakout stars to a certain extent. I mean, think about it. New Day were seven-time tag team champions, and The Shield only had a small handful of championship wins. Every Shield member, who, by the way, is non-black, held the belt at least once. You know, even though they kind of played Dean to the left, they, they a couple of them held the belt multiple times. So we can't even speak on, you know, the number of times Roman and Seth were able to get it. Coffee, Kingston, and Big E were the only New Day members to hold the belt once each and then the belt was removed from both of them in a very disrespectful manner and they had a very lackluster reign by the way at least Roman and Seth had a pretty good reign Roman really really Roman Roman has the belt right now he's the longest probably reigning champion at this point if I'm not mistaken they made coffee or Kofi I always call him coffee Kofi Kingston lose the, his belt to Brock Lesnar by getting squashed in literally a matter of seconds with just one F5. Xavier never even held the belt once. Naomi, who is a vet, only had one semi-long women's championship reign and the rest of her tenure she was basically treated like female Kofi during doing tricks and shit at Royal Rumble and if you if you really think about it they don't have a lot of visible black champions who truly identify themselves as black but here's the thing though there's a lot of talent with these black wrestlers so the idea that this is not a thing is kind of like beyond me and I feel like it goes back to the whole racism thing the, the Rock in my opinion identifies far more with his Samoan side and you know they try to exoticize him and, and try to put him in that kind of category Bobby Lashley 
just recently got the belt, but he debuted it back in 2005, and then he came back to WWE at some point, and he had been there for years before they put the belt on him. Kofi and Big E had lackluster reigns. To me, they could have even given Xavier the belt out of New Day. He has ungodly mic work, his wrestling is underrated, and he's been holding down one of the greatest tag teams in history of the company for a very long time, and he hasn't had one title shot. They could have had Shelton Benjamin, who could have been allowed to be champion because his wrestling was pristine as well. They could have elevated Booker back in the day, really, instead of making him the great value version of The Rock. Speaking of Bobby Lashley and Shelton Benjamin, that Hurt Business gimmick, you know that shit would have been on point if they didn't fuck it up. That was an excellent chance to elevate a bunch of talented brothers without there being a disrespectful gimmick attached. Also, speaking of tag teams, the Street Profits, haven't you all noticed how they choose not to elevate Montez Ford, although he is very talented, but they elevate his wife as if she's the real badass of the couple or kind of dominant? I hate that. I really hate that, y'all. And I've been noticing that low key because I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think they're an adorable couple and I can tell he's a masculine dude and she's feminine in her vibe overall. And it seems like they did that to kind of put a damper on that image because they'll be walking around. They'll be taking pictures, holding hands and stuff like that. And I'm like, see, I love that. That's black love like that right there. I love seeing those images. And then y'all do something like that and y'all put a damper on that and y'all not letting him be a champion himself outside of being a, you know, sometimes a tag team champion. But you got Bianca Belair holding it down with the woman's belt. I don't like that. I don't like that, y'all. I don't like that one bit. And that, that's on purpose. Anyway, family, I've been talking here for quite a while. I'm over here getting tongue-tied and shit and all this other stuff. So let me go ahead and end it. And this episode here was done to just inform people about the way that anti-black racism shows up in entertainment sources that aren't even necessarily in comics or aren't necessarily even in some of the things that I have talked about. But they show up in places like, you know, pro wrestling where, you know, you got some people who are just, you know, throwing each other around. But the storylines and the way that, you know, some of these these things happen, like have undertones of anti-black racism in them. So you just really got to just watch out for these for these types of things family because the honest truth is that a lot of racism that you see and this is the this is the lesson here a lot of the racism that you see and that you're going to see is going to be hidden it's not going to be in your face so it leaves room for people to try to make these weird interpretations you really are going to have to sit there and really look at this and dig things and dig things through and then really just critically think you can't sit here and just assume that everything is going to be given to you on a silver platter when it comes to racism. It's covert nowadays. So you're really, really, really going to have to dig. And I thought that this right here might help you kind of just look at it and put it all into perspective. Anyway, I hope y'all have a good day and I'll be talking to y'all soon. Peace.